Hello, friends. Hi, how's it going? Howdy, howdy. Oh, we have a very special guest with us today. Alicia, do you want to do the honors? Yeah, my brother is here visiting, Matthew. Um, the luxurious <laughs> Matthew, please. He doesn't read, so we'll see what it goes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to read. The, those weird little symbols, I, I haven't got you know, Just that. the way you said that just made it sound like he's illiterate. Just Well, there's that too. <laughs> oh, that was great. Listen, I see these weird symbols, and, like, I just don't know what they mean. The <laughs> dyslexic in me really vibes with that. Also vibes that you're drinking straight from the bottle. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, Matt, we drink on the podcast, so if you want to, like, grab a drink, you don't have to. Yeah. That's usually. Uh, I was like, okay, let me grab the wine. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. I knew that we were going to get along. This is great. Yeah. Well, this is Bookaholics Anonymous. I'm Francesca. I'm Alicia. And I'm Matthew. And he has a voice for radio. Oh, my God. He's got a face for radio, too. Wow. That was how hurtful. Dick. That was rude. You cut me. Deep. As it should be. What are you drinking, Alicia? I'm drinking a um, Truly's. It's pineapple flavor. Ooh. I love that for you. And Matthew? And I'm drinking uh, plum wine by uh, Kiko Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's either really good or really bad. And there's like going to be no in between. Yeah, he, um, hold on. We're going to do that. He um, brought it here. Yeah, I brought this here because I was told to bring uh, her some Tito's. So I'm like, listen, she's going to get some drink. I'm getting some drink. That's fair. <laughs> fair. I am drinking again. First time in a month. Oh my gosh, an ex- exciting milestone. I'm so happy. And we figured, why not do like a little taste test? Not taste test, but comparison for this episode. So I am drinking, I'm going to start with drinking one of the Bud Light Seltzers. The cherry Ooh. flavor. It's so far really gross. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't vibe with cherry in like seltzer water. Yeah, I think I don't they always know. taste gross. I don't know how I feel about it. And then I'm going to finish off with a White Claw grapefruit. So we'll see how it goes. Ooh. This was the only flavor I had yeah. of the Bud Light one. So I just grabbed it. I feel you. Any exciting news going on with you? Um, I feel like there was like a book news that I forgot about. I like saw that someone picked up some book. I can't remember what it was, which is so vague. Isn't that usually how it goes? Yeah, someone picked up someone's, like, book, and I was like, oh, really? They're going to write a book? Interesting. But I don't remember who it was. Prince Harry is writing a book. That's, memoir. It, that, that's what it was. That's what it was. Love Our that. minds. Yeah, uh, PBR is uh, PBR. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> P-A-R-H <laughs> is publishing it. PBR is now getting into the publishing business. You heard it here first. Yes, folks. the history of alcohol. <laughs> history of alcohol and alcoholics mm-hmm. a 1000 page book just a single they just sing, publish a single book and then they're just like all right we're done it's and it's just like a book full of like um like shiny pages so that it looks like you <laughs> <laughs> honestly i buy that book so i'll say yeah prince harry's writing a memoir 
which we'll see how that goes after Megan's book um, kind of flopped. I mean, listen, are you a celebrity anymore <laughs> nowadays if you don't write a memoir? I mean... Write a memoir in quotation Yeah, ghostwrite yeah. a memoir. In You're quotations, right. write. Yeah. Yikes. Anywho, <laughs> do we want to jump in? I think we should jump right in. Although we should say this is the first time recording in like two weeks because uh, we took last week off and put up Kayla's episode that we rose from the dead. Yes, Alicia resurrected from the dead. Thank you, my queen. I could not do that. Rose from the dead like Frankenstein's monster. I, it took me like three hours, four, probably four hours. I'm lying. But Damn. it was worth it because we had so many gems. I was like laughing throughout the whole episode. <laughs> yeah, that was a good episode. That was fun. It was pretty great. But yeah, let's just uh, dive right into it. Okay, trigger warning for this episode. Um, more so trigger warnings for the book than the actual episode. I tried to not mention as much of it as I could. Um, but for the book, there's a lot of racism uh, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. a lot of homophobia, um, some very derogatory language that I will not repeat. Um, so just, you know, fair warning when you're, if you want to read the actual book, um, which we always recommend, um, you do. So this week we are reading, we read, or I read, fuck you guys, <laughs> I read. I read through osmosis. Yes, because I kept sending her <laughs> screenshots because I kept laughing too, um, Razorblade Tears by S.A. Cosby. A book of the month. Yes, we are not sponsored when, either. When will book of the month sponsor us? I feel like we are always talking about Yeah. That. Oh, no, I think you guys need to be more drunk before that happens. That's true. You know what? That's valid. Yeah. Um, no <laughs> relation to the convicted Bill criminal Cosby. Bill Cosby, at least not that I found. I Googled it and didn't find Is any. It, like... Isn't he out of jail now? Yep, recently released. Don't want to talk about it. Don't get me started because I will what not What timing stop. that you have here, Francesca. <laughs> yes. Can we just talk about this cover color with a dark blue? The naked cover? Yeah, the naked cover. I love, I love this mustard, mustard yellow. yellow. Yes. With its black trim. Just, oh, chef's kiss. Love it. Just want to put it on a hot dog. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Is this is this fiction or nonfiction? Fiction. I'm sorry. Okay, I just you never you know. never know with do, me. Do yeah, we should usually exactly. always preface with the genre. It's fiction. It could okay. probably be nonfiction. <laughs> Someone probably will relate to this story, but Yikes. for now, it's fiction. Um, so we meet one of our main characters, Ike, when the story opens. He's being visited by two detectives, and the internal monologue gives us the information that he had been out of prison for fifteen years at this point. Uh, we don't know why he was in at this point. And as a black man, he has an innate uneasiness around cops. And then the Mood. detectives ask... As, as not a black man, I also have an innate uneasiness around cops. As a woman, I just have an innate <laughs> yeah. uneasiness around cops around and men. men. So yeah. as, as, a, as a white man who uh, has a disability, I also feel very uneasy around cops. <laughs> So the cops are there asking about Ike's son, Isaiah. So it cuts to the funeral. To be clear, we're in Virginia. Like, this that's where the okay, setting is. Okay, I was going to ask. 
So Isaiah and his white husband, Derek, are being buried. Yes, very much. (laughs) Beep. Um, Ike is there with his wife, Maya, and she's holding Isaiah and Derek's three-year-old daughter, Ariana. Oh my gosh, so it's a double funeral. Yes. This is heartbreaking. And this is only chapter two. (laughs) Like... Can't. I can't. So the preacher says a few words... Before allowing everyone to leave, most of the uh, in attendance for the funeral are the couple's eclectic group of friends. But also there is Derek's father, Buddy. Now, in the book, he goes by Buddy Lee, but Buddy Lee is just a mouthful. So he's going to be Buddy for the remainder of this. Uh, good old Buddy. <laughs> does he have a... Does he, oh, he's only Buddy Lee. He's not referred to as, like, his last name as well? Uh, his buddy... Uh, it's Jenkins is his last name, but... But it's, it's, they don't say Buddy Lee. Yeah, no, it's just Buddy Lee in the book. Because that's how you know he's like a serial killer. (laughs) Serial killers are always referred to by by their first, middle, and last name. Yeah. So, giving Ike a moment, Maya takes Ariana to the car. And Ike is kind of just wants to say his like final goodbye to his son. Buddy joins Ike, and the two had only ever met in passing. Like, this was their first real introduction to each other. Um, Immediately, Buddy spots. Um, Ike's prison tattoo on his hand. It's like a lion, which is like notorious for a prison gang, like a very violent prison gang. And he asks Ike what he did, admitting he himself had done a stint in Red Onion, which is a prison. I don't know if that's a fake prison or real, but it was called okay, Red no Onion. No offense. If it's a fake prison, you couldn't have come <laughs> up with like. A better name? <laughs> a more menacing name? Well, you know, it's like naming. It's like naming your psychiatric ward uh, Green Leak. (laughs) It just has no bearing under anything. Ike says he doesn't want to talk about it. It's obvious that he wanted a moment alone, but, like, Buddy just doesn't read social cues. So he just keeps talking. Relate. (laughs) Matthew goes, relate. (laughs) So Buddy keeps going, saying Derek was ashamed of him. So Derek was Isaiah's. Um, husband. White husband. Yeah. Mm. So, Buddy... Yeah. Buddy's white. Ike is black. Isaiah was black. Derek was white. Yeah. Okay, okay. okay. And then when I have to mention them together, I'll refer to them as the dads. Makes sense. Makes sense. And then if I have to refer to the the boys, I refer to them as the boys. Just... Got it, got it, got it. Just so, in the future. So, Buddy recalls a memory... Of when he once caught Derek when he was 14 kissing another boy and beating the shit out of him. Good old 1940s. (laughs) Well, we are in Virginia, so... Um, Buddy says if he could... (laughs) 2020s. Buddy says if he could say anything to Derek now, it's that he doesn't care who he was fucking, which is like, alright, eye roll. Mm, Too little, too late, pal. Like... (laughs) Literally, exactly. He also asks Ike if he thinks the cops will ever catch who did it, but Ike just kind of, like, ignores him and starts to walk away. <laughs> He's just like, I'm over it. Please leave me alone. He's like, bye. <laughs> so Ike, when he leaves the caskets, he catches up to the preacher, who's, like, about to, like, drive out of the lot, and shakes his hand and thanks him for doing the funeral, but also calls the preacher out on how he wouldn't stop referring to God forgiving all abominable sins and how... Just, like, repeating how, like, the boys were, like, an abomination. 
not acknowledging any of Isaiah's other incredible successes and attributes, just referring to them as, like, sins. This is interesting because you pick the preacher who does. Mm -hmm. The wife picked him. Oh, okay. Because I was like, why would you pick this person who you clearly don't align with? Yeah. Okay. That makes um, sense. Maya picked I was him. Very, I was like, yeah, okay, okay. That makes sense. Okay. So he starts to like crush this man's hand as he's shaking it. But Maya pulls him away and the preacher like dips. He just speeds out of there. She then calls Ike out on how like you're defending him now, but you didn't do that shit when he was like alive. Both of the fathers did not understand their son's choice. Not that being gay is a choice, but like they don't understand that. That right lifestyle. So like they were very they pushed them away a lot and caused a lot of problems. So Right. And Maya calls him out that Ike wasn't there when Isaiah needed him most because he was in prison. I mean a little a little hard to be there when you're kinda locked up in the in the hoo how. Yes. <laughs> What is, where, where did you hear that? <laughs> oh, I got a lot of slangs for the slammer. Mm. This is going to be fun. Big empty. <laughs> the big empty? Is that what you just said? Yep. Yikes. <laughs> That's a reference for those of you who know. So Buddy is facing eviction from his trailer for late rent and then kind of just has like a real like emotional breakdown over the loss of Derek. And then we get go to Ike's house he gets a call from the detectives on the case and they ask if they can talk to Ike and his wife since Isaiah and Derek's friends aren't really willing to talk to them. They tell Ike that Isaiah had received a death threat at work and were wondering if he knew anything about it. And Ike admits that he didn't have the best relationship with his son, so he wouldn't be much help. We get an account of the last time they saw each other three months earlier that Isaiah had come to... His, the house to tell his parents that he and Derek were getting married. Ike and Isaiah get into a huge argument because Ike is more concerned with what people will think than his son being happy. Yikes. It's, and that's on narcissism. And Yeah, and that's on homophobia. <laughs> we also learn that... A double whammy. <laughs> uh, we also learn that Isaiah and Derek were shot in the back of the head outside of a wine store in Richmond and then shot again in the face. Outside of wine Right? Store? That is so rude. I'm drinking wine right now. You could be shot in the face. <laughs> oh, no. So Ike has an emotional breakdown while hitting a punching bag and thinking about the whole situation. So now it's been two months since the murders, and Ike runs... Do, do you mind if I throw in a guess here? Yes. Or Please, I do this to Alicia all the time. Yeah. Oh, great. This is very Francesca-esque. So, seeing as we're... We're told that they were shot uh, once in the back and then once in the face, both, right? Um, they were shot a couple times in the back, and then they were shot twice in the face. Okay, so being told that, we know that it is a that it is a crime of passion of sorts, not necessarily in the traditional sense of it was in the heat of the moment, but it was because of some perceived slight they did. So then we know the killer is connected to them in some way. Because they shot them in the back of the head first because they didn't want them to see them? In the back and then in the face twice. Twice specifically? Yes. I'm not following, but okay. Well, because if you're shot several times in the back, you're generally dead. <laughs> then if you're shot in the face following that, you're definitely dead. 
to shoot them two times in the face is to be like, I want to make sure You're there's dead no dead. conceivable way that you could be brought back in any kind of manner. It's They also had to do a closed casket at the funeral because there was like no salvaging Ooh. their faces. Oof, that's yeah. rough. With, Especially since they had kids. Yeah, that's they rough. had one daughter. One daughter. Via okay. surrogate. Yeah, so she rough. was half white, half black because the mother was white. But it was Isaiah, Isaiah's biological child. Makes sense. So <clears throat> I, it's been two months since the murder, and Buddy goes to Ike's warehouse. Ike runs a landscaping business, so that's why he has, like, this giant warehouse where he works out of. He tells Ike that he visited the police department and found out that their son's case was currently inactive. Rude. They don't have many leads, and nobody was talking about it. It wasn't really a surprise to Ike. Buddy points out the same tattoo of the lion on his hand, suggesting that he must have been a big guy in the clink. He suggests that together they could go after the person that murdered their sons. Ike kicks him out, enraged by Buddy's implications with the tattoo, saying, like, he's not that person anymore. This is where we find out that his nickname in prison was Riot, and he had nine bodies, not including the one that got him the manslaughter charge. So that's ten, technically. Man, he's got a pretty good KD so far. <laughs> so, <laughs> damn. So, this man is a serial killer. I mean, yes and no. Did he kill all nine of them at the same time? No. I don't think. We don't get an prison? elaboration on that. Okay. You'll find out. So. This man is not a good person. So, <laughs> he implies at the end he doesn't have any problem spilling blood if needed, but the problem was that he might not be able to stop after having gone so long, like, being on the straight and narrow. And now, like, if he starts again, he might not be able to get himself out of that life again kind of thing. Mm, so right. now we meet Grayson. He's getting on his bike, his motorcycle. He's, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's getting on his motorcycle to leave his house when he gets a call on a burner phone. The voice on the other end is unidentified. Only that Grayson has... A task of finding this girl, and so far he's been very unsuccessful. The girl is tied to the reporter, and we know this is is Isaiah is the reporter, um, because he talks about his journalism degree and that kind of thing, so you know he's the reporter. Couldn't be me talking about my journalism degree. I avoid that. That's embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) The voice insists that Grayson take care of the girl, that, but she's been in the wind and basically undetectable since Isaiah's murder. The voice suggests going to Isaiah's house, but just to be clear, he's only been referring to him as the reporter, like, during this entire conversation. Okay. And So, hot guess here, it's probably um, his son's daughter. What? I know what you're saying. He's saying that the girl that is being referred to is Ar- Ariana, the daughter. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Um, so they suggest they go to the boy's house and look for clues to where she is there. And it seems, and since it seems Isaiah was working with her on a story about the unidentified voice. So that's kind of what's being implied. So on his way to work, Ike gets a call from the cemetery that something happened to his son's grave. He gets there and the headstone had been cracked halfway down the middle with what was probably a sledgehammer. And some derogatory phrases were spray-painted across the stone and in the grass around it. Can't y'all leave gravestones alone? 
Can't you just... Don't you know that's bad juju? <laughs> yeah. That's bad juju McGumbo. That's how you get haunted. Exactly. That's how you get haunted. That's how you get cursed. <laughs> so the rage Ike feels makes him finally call Buddy. Ike tells Buddy that Buddy has to be prepared to do whatever it takes. Literally whatever it takes to find the men that did this. And Ike has to know Buddy will do the same. Which Buddy's totally prepared to do. He just has to lay off the booze for a while when they do this because Ike refuses to have a drunk as a partner, which is, it's fair, you know? That's fair. That's fair. If you're drunk, you, you open yourself up to more liability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Make a lot more mistakes. Exactly. So Ike and Buddy go to Isaiah's job, the Rainbow Report. So in the car, Buddy puts his foot in his mouth several times and Ike kind of gives him a reality check about what it's really like to be black. And I and Buddy's like, I'm not racist. The only color I care about is green. <laughs> okay. Nice. <laughs> so not only are you racist, but you're also money hungry. Yeah. Got it. So because so he makes classist is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> because Buddy lives in the trailer, and Ike has this beautiful home and a really nice business and like a nice truck. And Ike is like, well, would you trade places with me for all this shit? And Buddy's like, hell yeah. And he's like, okay, so you want to get pulled over? Twice a week for driving a nice truck just because you're black. Do you want to have the cops coming and knocking on your door anytime some there's a problem in your neighborhood? Like, things like that. He's like, you still want to trade places with me? And Buddy just gets real quiet. <laughs> gets real quiet. <laughs> At Isaiah's office, we meet his boss, a tall black woman who is a lesbian. And I add her sexual orientation only because I got the sense that... Isaiah, like, felt, not Isaiah, Ike felt some kind of, like, attraction to her, which was, like, a little weird, but initially I thought it was, like, oh, shit, does Ike cheat? But then I remembered she's a lesbian, so that's probably not gonna happen. (laughs) So that's why I call that out. She calls Ike out that his problem with Isaiah wasn't his sexuality, but it was more about how Ike handled his son's sexuality. Mm -hmm. So she tells them Isaiah's death... Death threat came from a very progressive group of hipsters called the Blue Anarchists, who choose violence over a verbal discussion of policy and things like that. So the threat was over an article Isaiah wrote about their transphobic behavior. So the boss has their address because they literally snail mailed the threat, which like, wouldn't that make a death threat a federal crime too? Because they put it through the mail. Exactly. Right. But sure, Jan. So she asked the dads not to hurt them because the group is literally just children. Like, they're all, like, 18-year-olds that don't know what the fuck they're doing kind of thing. And Ike is like, why would you think we'd hurt them? And again, she points out the tattoo on his hand about, like, I know what that means. But Buddy reassures reassures them that they're just old men looking into what happened to their sons. Wink, wink. Now, I did my fan cast in my head as I do for every book that I read. And I'm getting, like, Denzel and, like, Bruce Willis in these roles. You know what I mean? Denzel. Now, granted, Mm. Buddy Lee is described as having long, blonde hair, which we know Bruce Willis is not known for. (laughs) No, not particularly. What? He's not. He's more got a Matthew vibe going on, which is the bald head. The bald look. But Majestic bald head. It's it's too good not to put him in that role. Just to see what he would do with it. 
You know, as the redneck from Virginia. Right. Hey, listen, if they can change basically everything about a character's appearance in movies, I, I think them being I bald. I think the hair is not a big one, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, you know, as a diehard fan of a few genres, I make a big deal when someone's, you know, a brunette and not a redhead. But, like, this isn't a long-established fandom. That's true. Like, the ones I'm involved so Ike and Buddy go to visit the Blue Anarchists, and it's, like, this little shop in, like, a strip mall is, like, the front for their headquarters. Oh, boy. So they go into the Not store, and three people are standing behind the counter at their shop. Ike asks them about Isaiah and the death threat, and they said it wasn't a death threat, but their feelings about the hateful article that he wrote about them. Sir, you are in a, radical, a radical group. Yeah. Hateful article? Your whole group is hateful. <laughs> so Ike tells them that Isaiah's dead. The leader says sorry he's dead, but he's not surprised <laughs> as he was a tool for the corporate industrial complex. That's how you know oh an 18-year-old said some shit. That's yeah, so true. Oh, 18-year-old. I thought they were 16 for a second there. Yeah, like they're children. They don't have concept of money because their parents are funding all of this kind of thing. You know? Ah, trust fund babies. Yeah. So, Ike grabs the leader by his beard and smashes his head into the glass display case. He said, he says, we're going to ask some questions, and for every answer he, you give me that I don't like, I'm going to break a finger. So, Ike asks them if they knew anything. The guy says no. Ike doesn't like that, so he breaks his pinky. The leader pees his pants, like, legitimately, like, pees his pants. And swears oh it had nothing to do with I Isaiah's death. Ike lets him go, and Buddy warns the other two that it would be better for their health if they kept this shit to themselves. When they get back to the car, Buddy just lets out this, like, whooping cheer. And Ike's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> like, why would you get excited about that? And Buddy's just like... Just gets him going. <laughs> <laughs> Violence, just really, you know... <laughs> you know, some people say it's very attractive in a person. <laughs> I guess so. Buddy says he's just excited that they're finally doing something about the boy's deaths, and he doesn't feel like a total piece of shit dad. And Buddy's like, what, you didn't enjoy that? And Ike just does not answer. So now they go to Derek's place of work, which is a bakery. He was a trained chef. Oh my gosh, that's so cute. Right? The reporter and the baker, like, I love that. So they meet one of Derek's coworkers, Brandon. The dads introduce themselves and Buddy asks if Brandon knows anything, if Derek might have mentioned literally anything suspicious before his death. Brandon cons consistently says no, but Buddy sees his tell for when he's lying and calls him out. Brandon tells them they need to leave and Buddy again asks him very calmly if he knows anything. Again, when Brandon says no, Buddy tips over a display cake onto the floor and just every time he says no, it's just another cake. So after a few more cakes toppling, Brandon spills the beans. He says okay. Derek told him that while working at an event for a recording studio, he had met a girl. She said she was having an affair with one of the company's married big shots. And he was a giant hypocrite and this big asshole. And she wanted to get out of the relationship. Brandon says Derek was very upset and he was going to get Isaiah to publish a sto her story. A couple weeks later, the two of them are dead. Brandon doesn't have much more information beyond that. And they leave and decide to go back to the boy's house to look for clues. Grayson rolls up to his biker club. I'm thinking Sons of Anarchy, Charlie Hummin in this role. 
because of Sons of Anarchy, but, <laughs> like, I just feel like he would fit this so well. Anyway. Really typecast. I don't care. He literally fits the exact <laughs> description for this character, so if the shoehorn fits. <laughs> the shoehorn I don't think that's how the expression goes. So, he's the president of this club called the Rare Breed. That sounds like a eugenics. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not wrong. (laughs) It just sounds like something Hitler would have been a part of. (laughs) Listen, we're just a rare breed. It's not that we we just happen to be better than you in every way. We're just inferior. (laughs) Their slogan is bleed for the breed. Oh, wow. Oh, Don't no. like that. Yeah. That, no. That is, that is pretty obvious. Yeah. They're, 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 they're not trying to hide this allegory. <laughs> <laughs> so he sends two prospects, Andy and Oscar, to go break into the boy's house to get a lead on where the girl is. And we now know her name is Tangerine, which I felt like was a fake name. And then I remember there are people out there that are named Clementine. So I was like, all right, choices, people. But okay. Tangerine sounds more dumb than Clementine, though. Okay, but then you remember the nickname for Clementine is, like, Clemmy, which sounds like Flemmy, oh. whereas her nickname is Tangy. I know that, no, the nickname for Clementine is normally Clem. Okay, but that still sounds which like Flem to me. Bad. Yeah, exactly, that's what <laughs> not, I'm thinking. It's not much better, but it's better than Clemmy. Grayson tells the prospects if they're successful at finding anything, he'll speed up their induction into the club. So... The dads go to the boys' house. Ike makes a comment about how the neighborhood used to be full of crack houses and he used to run drugs through the area and how much it's clearly been gentrified. (laughs) Wow. There we find out that Buddy is... We find out about Buddy's prison record, which is that he did um, time for his brother's crime, which was transporting meth. And he did five years because his brother's record was clean and he wanted it to stay that way. Whereas Buddy already had time, done small amounts of time. Ike is shocked by the fact that he only did five years for having a load of meth in his car. When he knows people who have done the same amount for just weed possession. Like, nothing serious. Right. It's just another indicator of how racist the justice system is. But I digress. Inside, the dads split up to search for information. Buddy has an emotional moment when he finds a picture of himself with a young Derek and his ex-wife, Christine, is in the picture with them, as well as a picture of Ike and Isaiah together on a side table. So Buddy swipes the picture of them. He searches the kitchen and finds a notepad on the fridge. There's a doodle of a pair of shoes, an arrow pointing to a fruit, and then an exclamation point. Underneath is a series of numbers. So, Buddy takes the note, having a gut feeling it's, like, important. While that's happening, Ike is going through the bedroom, and he notices a bunch of napkins from a place called Garland's. He then goes into Isaiah's office to search, and then on a notepad, he sees a phrase, Does she know? Question mark. Which means absolutely nothing to Ike, but it feels important to remember. So, he goes through the call log and notices one number called eight times the day before the murder and takes note of that. Yeah. Listening to their voicemail, he hears one of a terrified woman saying she's backing out. She doesn't want to talk because she's scared. Voicemail? Is this 2004? 2001. 2000 and late. <laughs> so she apologizes before she hangs up. 
So now, cut to Andy and Oscar are breaking into the house. The prospects. Wow. And Buddy is having a coughing fit in the kitchen. Coughing up phlegm and blood. Cute. So. Great. He hears two men enter and he grabs like a ceramic jar from the counter behind him. And he hits one in the face before they could reach for their gun and tackles the other one into the coffee table. Like a goddamn boss. Damn. So a fight ensues with Bucky, Loki kicking their ass, but ends up with Andy pistol whipping Buddy. For a second, I thought you said Bucky, and I was like, Bucky. Let's become the Winter Soldier. <laughs> this is the Winter Soldier in like fifty years when he finally ages to the right age. Oh man. So they tie up, but uh, they tie. Now I'm gonna start saying Bucky. Fuck you. <laughs> So they tie up Buddy with the TV cord, and Andy holds him at gunpoint. And Buddy keeps telling them they're going to wish they killed him. A loud crash comes from deeper in the house, and a gunless Oscar is sent to investigate. Ike sneaks up behind- Gunless? He doesn't- Yeah, yeah, he doesn't have a gun. That's why I said gunless. That does not seem- Yeah, that does not seem like a good idea. And that doesn't seem like an average Virginian. (laughs) True. He's got a point. That's like, true. Wh- why wouldn't you just be carrying around like a forty-five or like a thir- <laughs> or thirty-odd six? I'm gonna pretend like I know what those are. Yeah, right. <laughs> They're uh, calibers of guns. Oh, specifically, normally found in handguns. A forty-five is a large, uh, power quote unquote round that uh, it it, it packs a wallop. You're showing the farm children in you. Yeah. Well. Hey, what can I say? What can I say? What can I say? So Ike sneaks up behind him and smashes the top of the toilet tank over his head. Oh, and nice. effectively knocking him out. Yeah, so that's a damage. When Andy hears Oscar collapse, like it's a big boom because Oscar's such a big guy, he moves towards the hallway distracted. So Buddy double kicks him in the back of the like the side of the leg. Andy falls to the ground and like is grasping his gun very loosely because he's, like, falling. As he reaches for it, Ike steps on his hand and then lifts him up and punches him hard enough to knock him out like a boss. Damn. Ike then takes Andy's gun and lets Buddy out of his ties. Buddy tells Ike he fully meant it when he told Andy and Oscar to kill him. Like, he was, like, ready to die for this. Shit. So now, when I texted you and said, Matthew's gonna have some feelings about this... I fully was reading this, and I was like, oh my god, this is me and Alicia. (laughs) (laughs) Except you would be Ike, and I would be Buddy. (laughs) And I was like, this has nothing to relate to race. We're both white girls from New York, but, like, personality-wise, we fit these two (laughs) too well. Yeah, I feel like Buddy, like, just, like, it's a little more, like, spontaneity. Yeah. Chaos. There's some ADHD in there that is undiagnosed. (laughs) So they tie up Andy in Ike's warehouse. And they leave an unconscious Oscar at the house because he was just heftier. Um, I'm picturing Andy Bernard and Oscar from The Office. Um, that just makes this all ten times funnier. So please do that. (laughs) Yeah. So they try to lean on him for information but all he says is some guy hired him to get information on a girl named Tangerine. Ike and Buddy turn their backs on Andy to discuss what they might have figured out with the note on the fridge and the name on the napkin. While their backs are turned, Andy gets one hand loose and uses a chair 
he's tied to to hit Ike in the back of the head, knocking him to the floor. He then turns the chair on Buddy, who grabs the legs, but ultimately loses his footing and falls to the ground into another coughing fit. Which, again, damn, sounds about right. <laughs> Dude got, like, tuberculosis or some shit. So, Buddy grabs his jackknife from his back pocket, and Andy raises the chair over his head to bring down on Buddy, and Buddy shoves that shit into his Andy's stomach. Shoves the knife into him. Shit. So, Ike gets up the, from the floor, takes one of his landscaping tools, and whacks Andy over the head with it. He proceeds to lose his shit and beats his head in with this tool, rationalizing that he broke into the boy's house, he probably murdered them, and if he didn't, he probably knew who did. So, they resolve to deal with the body by using a wood chipper and some manure Ike has out back. Wow. Um, wow. That is a choice. So Y'all just murdered someone. The first thing you're thinking is, oh man, how do we hide this body? Y'all might have some psychopathic tendencies. (laughs) Buddy tries Uh, and fails to make a joke that Andy was a real piece of shit anyway. Which, like, again... (laughs) Diffuse the tension. So true. So Oscar gets back to the clubhouse covered in his own blood. Like, the club's VP is shocked he hasn't died from blood loss at this point. So when he's finally coherent enough, he tells the other members what happened. The VP calls Grayson and tells him Oscar said that they got into it with an old man at the house. And one was the dead guy's dad. And when he came to, Andy was gone. He also noticed a truck in the driveway that said Randolph Lawn Maintenance on it, which was Ike's lawn business. Grayson calls for a church meeting to deal with Father Knows Best. Don't like that. No, do not like that at all. Man, that is big bad guy energy. (laughs) So the cleanup takes hours and they finish a little before sunrise. Buddy picks up two beers from a local 7-Eleven and heads to the cemetery like the icon he is. He says he couldn't go completely cold turkey during the investigation, but, like, a beer every now and then isn't going to kill him. I mean, he do has he does have some points. Yeah. There. So when he gets to the cemetery, he sees Derek's mother standing at the site. She, Christine Jenkins Culpepper... <gasps> yes! <laughs> ...had remarried a yes. rich judge who is now going to be running for governor of Virginia. Jared... Gerald Culpepper was his name. He wasn't in the NFL. No, he wasn't. After Buddy... So she remarried him after Buddy went to jail. And they kicked Derek out when he turned 18 for his sins. Rude. She had not attended the funeral because it would have been a bad look for her and the judge to appear to be supporting that lifestyle. It's not supporting a lifestyle that goes to someone's funeral. (laughs) The same. Man, a life was taken that was close to me. That sucks. Trust. We'll go off, I guess. So, Buddy calls her out for being high, and she says she has a (laughs) prescription for it before stomping off. (laughs) Okay. So, Buddy goes over to the grave and pours the second beer over Derek's side on the grass. (laughs) And he apologizes to Isaiah that Buddy didn't get him one, but he didn't know what Isaiah liked. He tells the boys what happened. so fucked up. He tells the boys what happened. Um... And while the boys would tell him to let it go, he is who he is, and this is what has to be done. So Ike goes through the disposal process um, in the book and how they torched Andy's clothes. Sidebar, it really bugged me when I was reading this, how the author kept referring to Andy as the kid. 
Like, granted, the, these are older men, so they call everybody kid. Even I do that to people older than me. I call, I'm like, hey, kid, what's up? Like, that kind of thing. Right. But in the context, it, context, it just makes me feel icky that they're disposing of the body of the kid. Like, mm, don't like that. When he's probably that in his very, mid-twenties. Like... You're right. That's you, very bizarre. You're, you're making him sound like he's 14. Yeah. So, um, while this is happening, a group of motorcycles pass in front of the warehouse. So, Detective LaPlatt, which is one of the detectives that showed up um, in the beginning of the book to tell them about the death. He's, like, the mm-hmm. lead investigator on the boy's murder. Um, he shows up at Buddy's trailer while he's a little lost in the sauce. And there are no pleasantries, and Buddy can tell he fucked up. Um, it flips to Ike at the warehouse when his receptionist, Jazzy, comes into his office and tells him that there are five bikers outside looking for him. So he's like, all right, it's not a bet. Grabs a machete yeah. before he makes an appearance. And wow. all the bikers have, like, homemade weapons on them. Like, one of them's carrying, like, a pipe. Another one is carrying, like, a cylinder of some kind from a car. Like, that kind of thing. So, Grayson, along with some other of the club members, are there. He asks if Ike has seen their friend, Andy. Not, like, calling him by name, but that's <laughs> what they're looking for. And Ike is like, you have no friends here. And then the VP says, fuck this, and goes to smash the candy bar with the giant pipe, like, on the receptionist desk. Or, like, the candy jar, excuse me. Right. Um, but at the same time, Ike grabbed Grayson's arm and smashed Grayson's head into the desk, holding the machete to his neck. Okay, let's, uh... Grayson tells them to rush Ike, like, it's five to one, but the receptionist, the icon she is, Jazzy, she pulls out her own gun and tells them... Because it's, it's Virginia. Yeah, it's time to go. And now Ike makes a... He makes a point of hiring ex-cons because he believes in giving people second chances because he, you know, was in their lifestyle before. But Jazzy doesn't have a record, so she can legally mm-hmm. own that gun. Right. So um, Ike says they need to leave and then he'll release Grayson. Grayson tells them to attack anyway, but the VP is like, nah, fam. And the rest of them slowly do- start to back out. Ike lets Grayson go and Ike threatens that they're going to come back and burn the warehouse to the ground. And that he should call for backup because, again, he saw Ike's tattoo and he's going to need all the backup he can get. He also makes a comment about making Ike watch while he shits in someone's mouth. And I was like, I don't know. This is just all wild. Okay, this this went from intimidating to someone's fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) He also uses a lot of racial slurs, which made me wish the receptionist just pulled the fucking trigger. But that's just me. And can I just say, like, the author just ends his chapters so fucking well just, like, has these amazing one-liners that just, like, hit you. Like, this chapter ended with him saying, they came, they come around looking for war, he'd give them a fucking massacre. Like, oh, chef's kiss, so good. That's a gift. That is, yes. So now, back to Buddy. The plot is there because the hipsters that they beat the shit out of came forward and accused Buddy and Ike of assault. Now, that was just the one hipster that they hit. The other two that were there claimed not to remember who did it. It was just the one guy who was like, yeah, these two guys beat the shit out of me. Basically, the detective tells him that this is his one get-out-of-jail-free card because the only evidence they have is the hipsters versus the dads. Like what he said, he said, he said. They can't have a private citizen running around, taking the law into their own hands. LaPlatte tries to empathize with Buddy, but Buddy is just like don't try to understand and he hopes that like he never will like understand 
what it's like to lose a child. I thought he was going to be like, don't try to understand me. Like, he's some sort of, like, teenage yeah. angst boy. No. No. No, it's a very different situation. <laughs> yeah. If, if that was the case, I would have ripped into him, like, oh, come on. Stop being such an edgelord. Yeah, no. He's <laughs> like, I hope you never have to understand, like, what it's like to lose a child. So don't fucking also, try. like, sir, you can't just, a private citizen can't take the law into his own hands. Then do your job. Yeah. So also this thing called a citizen's arrest, (laughs) (laughs) where quite literally a citizen takes the law into their own own hand. So Ike and Maya have a small tiff over where Ike was the night before because he didn't come home. She also mentions that Detective LaPlatte came by looking for him specifically. And it was about like the hipster shit. Like he was going to talk to him about it, but like whatever. Right. They also talk about how important it is for them to both be present to raise Ariana because they were left custody of her if in the event, like, both the dads died. So they're the ones right. raising her now. So Ike tells Maya that he and Buddy are handling things and just leaves it at that, won't elaborate. Plausible deniability. Exactly. So he doesn't plan on telling her anything else. He calls Buddy and tells him that they need to talk in person. So Buddy comes to Ike's house. Ike asks him if he knows anything about the rare breed. And Buddy is shocked. Says they're one presenters, one presenters, TBH, I don't know what that meant, but okay. That they have up, they have chapters <laughs> up and down the East Coast. They run drugs, mostly meth, and guns. Buddy used to run some meth for them back in the day, but was never, like, heavily involved. It was more like a friend of an acquaintance kind of deal. Mm. He, They figured that whoever wanted the boys and Tangerine dead probably hired Rare Breed to do it. They also decided to start taking Buddy's car from now on. After the mishap with Ike's warehouse. They're both still confused how all of these things work together. So the next step was hitting the bar Garland's to find out what happened there. Grayson is planning to annihilate Ike at this point. He's calling Damn. chapters up and down the coast. Telling them to come. All of them. They're going to like murder him. So that is until he gets a call from that mysterious voice who explains that after everything that happened at the boys' house and after the machete incident, the police were never called. Ike never called the cops. Nobody called the cops. So chances are Andy is dead at Ike's hand. And Grayson was like, thanks, we've been nooses anyway. Like, yeah, literally. You didn't think we didn't think of that? But Grayson also says that Andy knew Tangerine's name and probably gave it up before he died. So the mysterious voice tells Grayson to have his men tail Ike, and if he finds Tangerine, then perfect. Two birds, one stone, they kill Ike, and they get Tangerine. Grayson tells them, you don't run the club, I do. He doesn't wake up in the morning to kiss their ass, and they can tell their daddy that. It's like, all right. Okay. Shit. The mysterious voice says if Tangerine isn't taken care of, they will use every connection they have to make sure Grayson is someone's bitch in prison. Which I thought was funny. So the dads go to the bar. Ike passes... As dads do. As dads do. Ike passes a comment that the last time he was in a club, Michael Jackson was alive. Which is really funny because I remember finding out when Michael Jackson died. I was in... Dude, me too. I was in a parking lot of a King Cullen. And my grandpa had no idea what was going on and was pointing to an ad (laughs) of a dog with real human teeth. And it was like, look how funny this is. And we're like, oh my god. Michael Jackson is dead. So. 
I think I was just at home and my mom loved Michael Jackson, like loved Michael Jackson. Like this is it. When that came out um, in theaters, she went and saw it. Wow. Like with her friend, she loved Michael Jackson and she was very upset that he died. (laughs) So the club is Judy Garland themed. Iconic. I was going to say, when you said Garland, I was like, Judy Garland? But I was like, is that kind of like homophobic because they're gay? No! They might be typing, like, um, what's it called? Insinuating, but... I know, I know what you're trying to get at. Yeah. It's like uh, um, a stereotype. Yes, that's the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it's clearly a gay bar, not just based off the name, but like the decor and the couples dancing together, it's very obvious. So right. they asked the bartender if they knew the boys, and... The bartender said they they were regulars, that they came there often, they were very close. They also asked about Tangerine, and the bartender describes her as a free spirit and kind of a diva. He says he hasn't seen her in a while, and she's kind of very, like, floats in and out. So, this is making me think Tangerine is, like, a stage name. Like, I just feel like she's a drag queen for some reason. (laughs) Like, just... I just, I get that vibe from her. Listen, if the, if that is a stage name, then I gotta roast them. Because who the fuck would choose Tangerine as your fucking stage name? Sorry, it's just not a good name. Anyways. Um, so, Ike and the bartender have a real conversation surrounding being gay, being black, and being both those things. And how he never gave his son... The love and attention he deserved, which everyone keeps spitting back in his face, which I love. So Ike and Buddy split up to talk to other patrons. Ike goes to a table of men and introduces himself and says that he was Isaiah's father. And all the men at the table are very um, apologetic and sorry for its loss. He asks about Tangerine and says that Derek met, met her working a party. One of them suggests that the, that was probably a party for Mr. Get Down. A.K.A. Tark Matthews. I think that's how you say it. But I'm just going to go with that because it reminds me of Tark from Flipper, Flipper Flop. Um, <laughs> he, of course. He was a big shop producer in the area. He lived out on the West End. And we also learned that Tangerine isn't even her real name. Tangerine had been gone since before the boys were shot. Ike feels like they're holding back and that one of them even knew how to find her. But if they did, they didn't say it. So Ike goes to the bar to pay the tab, and an older, very drunk man comes up to Ike and starts hitting on him. Oh, boy. And Ike tells the guy, don't touch me. But the guy does anyway. And naturally, Ike attacks. There's a lot of pent-up emotion in this moment. So, like, when he's like, don't touch me, it's like, either he's going to hit someone and he's going to start crying. And I have very much been in that situation before and have hit someone and started crying. (laughs) Oh, no. My sisters were usually the ones on the other end. Relax. Well, at least it's Yeah, it wasn't a stranger. <laughs> so they end up having to, like, be pulled apart, and the bouncers come in and, like, kick them out. So Buddy drops Ike off at home, and we learned learn here that the Rare Breeds VP and another member are staking out Ike's house, like, sitting outside in the car. Now, I should have mentioned this before. This book is in third person. It's not from one specific person's point of view. So it's not like... My fave. What? I love third yeah. person. So it's not like Ike like notices an idling car. It kind of just skips a, pa- a paragraph and then it shows you like that they're sitting there watching him. So that's how we're right. getting this information. It's from third person. That kind of thing. I would say if Ike was like, oh, he noticed that weird car. Anyway, I digress. So Ike has a nightmare and wakes up to Maya being gone. 
It's early in the morning, so he just decides to get up for the day. And while going out to get the paper, Maya returns home. She had gone out to, like, get them breakfast or whatever. And she looks mm-hmm. alarmed. She A car drives past the house, heading towards a dead end. And Maya tells Ike she thinks that car was following her. So Ike tells her to go, go inside, stay with Ariana. I'll come get you to come out. Ike goes into the shed and gets a bush axe, which Damn. I'm assuming you know what that is. Yeah. For our listeners that don't, because I had to Google it. <laughs> it's like a much longer axe and the blade is curved on the end instead of just like that hard point that an axe normally is. I had to look it up. I wasn't sure what the fucking difference was. Um, so he waited for the car to return. And when it does, he recognizes the driver as one of the men who tried to jump him at work. So he comes out fucking swinging. He breaks their back window. Shit. Like, puts a chunk, takes a chunk out of a headrest. Like, he's, means business. So the car speeds off down the road, and Ike sends Maya and Ariana to stay with Maya's sister for a while. So Buddy comes to the house, and they decide to go talk to Tark. Um, and they dupe the bakery into giving them the address to Tark's house. Just Mm -hmm. so they can get there. So they get to the security gate to his neighborhood and tell them they want to talk to Tangerine. And that's how they get through the security gate is because Tark hears that and he's like, all right, fucking let them through. Like, so they go to his house and Tark gives them a warning, like surrounds them with his security guards and just like tells them that Tangerine's off limits to just give it up and go home. Okay, wow. When they don't, the dads and the security detail fucking brawl. And Buddy even manages to lift a gun off of one of them. Shit! Ike tells Tark to tell Tangerine that their boys died because of her. She owes them. And then they dip. So they assess the damage from the fight. Ike says he knows someone that can connect them to Tark. So they go to a barber shop. This is where enter Slice, aka Lance, one of Ike's former gang mates. So Ike was in a gang. He wasn't a serial killer. He killed those people because of his gang affiliation. Oh, got yeah. it, got it, got it. So we find out that Ike, the murder Ike did time for was beating a rival gang member to death with his bare hands on the street because Shit. that gang member had so ordered the death board. of one of his friends. So mm-hmm. retaliation. Ike tells Slice that I Slice owes him because the guy that he murdered had ordered the death of Slice's brother. So, like, Ike owes him for that. And right. Slice had told Ike that he wouldn't have to worry about anything while he was on the inside, that Maya and Isaiah wouldn't have to worry for anything, which is not true because Maya ended up working three jobs and Ike had a very rough time in prison. But Ike never said anything till now. He wants to cash in on that death. Slice agrees to set up a meeting for Ike with Tark. Because Tark is one of Slice's business partners. So that's how they're setting that up. Got it, got it, got it. So they meet with Tark. And the big guy facade just drops. Slice is sitting in the corner with one of um, Tark's bodyguards just scrolling on his phone. Tark tells them that she's staying in Bowling Green about an hour away from where they are now. And that her name is actually Tangerine. It's not a stage name. Oh, shit. Tragic. So so the dads leave to go find her. And Slice tells Ike that they're even now. After everyone clears out, Slice makes a phone call to Grayson. 
in exchange for putting Slice into contact with his best meth cooker that Grayson knows, Slice will tell him where Tangerine is. Motherfucker. These assholes. Yo, these hoes ain't loyal. Yeah, really. (laughs) So they get to Tangerine's neighborhood, and Ike makes a point of having Buddy knock on the doors because this is MAGA country. (laughs) And because they don't know her exact address, so... Um, they know what street she's on, so Buddy just has to go and knock on the doors and see who, who fucking answers. So when they get to the right house, Buddy grabs the gun that he pulled off the security car, security guard, just in case. On the front steps, they are met by a beautiful young woman pointing a shotgun at their face. So when they tell her who they are, why they're there, she lowers the shotgun, but she starts crying when... Ike tells her she's the reason that the boys are dead. Ike admits he's over all of the tears. And again, another amazing one-liner where he's like, let her weep until she cries blood. Like, oh, so good. So. Eh, uh, I'm not so partial to that one. I just think like it's so relevant to like what he's feeling and that he's over everyone crying and like she can cry all she wants, but this is her fault. So fuck her. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so her they she invites them inside and her mother offers to make everyone drinks and the dads and Tangerine sit to talk. They try real hard to get her to give up the name of who she was in a relationship with, but she is not budging and she's really trying hard to protect herself. She admits she thinks that the man who she was involved with didn't do it. It was the men above him that did it. And then they hear a bunch of cars pull up in front of the house. Ike checks it out, and it's all rare breed. And he tells everyone to hit the deck. Bullets shower the house. And Tangerine's mom, a little drunk, spins around like, what? (laughs) And she just... An icon. Torn apart by the bullets. Oof. Rip. So they fridged the mother. Yes. So Ike army crawls into the kitchen to grab the shotgun... Oh he God. takes out one member as it busts as it busts through the front door. He fatally shoots two more, and he, Buddy, and Tangerine escape together during the shootout. So Grayson has them regroup and wants to rain hellfire down on these dads. So as they drive away, Ike feels like a wetness on his back and looks down and sees Uh-oh. Tangerine is passed out. She had been <gasps> no. shot in the crook of her elbow. And was bleeding fast. Which I feel like that's not a fatal shot. No, I just feel like... Not really. You're just going to have to put pressure on that. And you might lose like that, that part of your yeah. arm. Right. So, but whatever. Ike calls... I'm not a doctor. <laughs> so Ike calls Maya, who works as a nurse. Which was mentioned earlier in the book, but I didn't think it was relevant until now. Um, she's a nurse. Mood. So he calls her and tells her to meet them at Buddy's uh, trailer. So... Meeting at Buddy's trailer, Maya had brought Ariana with her because there was nobody at her sister's house to watch her. So they just have this three-year-old with them. Love that. So Ike takes Tangerine inside and Buddy stays outside with Ariana so she doesn't have to see that. And he calls the entire book, he calls her Little Bit. Like, hey, Little Bit. Like, it's just so cute. That's so cute. Um, And he, like, while they're outside, he, like, sings with her to, like, distract her. It's just, oh, my God. Oh my gosh, he's like such a good grandfather. Um, and when they when he first meets Ariana, she doesn't know who he is, like doesn't recognize him because he hadn't met her until that point. 
And, like, he had met her when she was a baby baby, but hadn't seen her since. Right. Um, Right. So, they take her inside and Maya shoes Ike out so she can try and sterilize as much as she can, but also so she can work. And he and Buddy Mm -hmm. watch Ariana. And that's where that clip where, that I sent you where he goes, say hi to the mean lady. (laughs) Well, that was that, this (laughs) part. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, a short while later, Maya comes out and says, Tangerine will survive, but she needs a safe place to recover, an ally. And Ike and Buddy are like, what? Like, why would, like, yeah, wherever she stays, that person needs to be an ally. And Maya tells them, no, an ally to the LGBTQ plus community. (laughs) Maya tells them that she is a transgender woman. Who hasn't had gender reassignment surgery. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, okay. Wait, then wouldn't that be a transgender man? No, because she he she started as a man and transitioned to a oh, woman. Oh, so, so then she has gone through. No, she hasn't had the no, assignment no, no. surgery, so she still has the male part. Oh, okay. Yes. I think what he thought you were saying is that she... Started as a woman and went to a man, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, so, wow. Um, when I tell you I like, closed the book and was like, oh my yeah. god. So many layers. Twist. Literally. So does, like, Ike knows this then. So Ike, well, they're just finding this out through Maya. These things. Like, they, the, this entire time they thought that she was a cisgender woman. Even when they walked up to her, they're like, she's a beautiful woman. They had no right. idea. And you also. She had a good surgeon then. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't think she could afford surgery. I think she just, like, kind of grew out her hair and makeup. But even, you think, wonders. you think back to, like, when they first met her mother, and her mother called her Terry, which was her dead name. That's interesting, because Terry could a, be a girl's, like girl's name. Yeah, exactly. Too. Oh, my gosh, that's crazy. And um, she needs a place to recover that will be safe for her and not just from the breed. So, like, th- she needs to be with someone... Who's not going to be upset with her gender identity? Tangerine does. Yes, to recover. Okay, I'm just yeah, yeah, I'm just. So the dads still have a hard time wrapping their head around this information, but Maya's holding Ariana, and Maya uh, Ariana tells Maya that Tangerine is pretty, and it's just so sweet, like such a like innocent uh-huh. moment. And at this point, Tangerine still won't give up the man that. The name of her boyfriend. She won't do come it. Come on, sis. Just come on. So she's still insistent that he's not the one that ordered the hit. And she that she just wants all of this to go away. Ike tells Buddy and Maya to stay at the trailer and he's going to take Tangerine somewhere safe. Tangerine shows Ike messages between her and her boyfriend, which he his name is saved under the letter W on her phone. And... He's just, like, a real sweet talker. You know, real fucking slick. Ugh. Gross. And Tangerine expresses how hard the guy has it, that he's not even out. Um, and that this is all his family doing it. Ike has a moment of clarity where, well, where he admits he wasn't the best dad to Isaiah. While he, like, acknowledged that earlier, like, it's really, like, sinking in kind of thing. And right. Um, Tangerine, like, asks him, why are you doing all of this? Like, why? And he's doing it now so no one else has to be suffer for being who they are. Because he made his son suffer for who he was. Right. Which was, like, it kind of hits you the way it was written. 
I know you have some feelings about that. I can see it on your yeah, face. Yeah, I have some feelings. I'm just like, sir. Mm. Like, I don't know. Again, a little too li- a little like, a little too yeah. late kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly. And you and he even said like admits like it's a little late now for me to want to avenge and change my relationship with Isaiah, but Yeah. And I, I mean people grieve differently, but like personally mm-hmm. I would like maybe focus on like helping that community more mm-hmm. but you know teach their own so he takes her to jazzy his receptionist he takes her to her apartment to keep her safe there and says jazzy and isaiah were really close growing up like she'll be accepting of tangerine so back at buddy's right. place he has a bit of a coughing fit and maya calls him out and is like is it emphysema or is it cancer and but he's just like, it's just a little tickle, MBD, and just moves on <laughs> to his day. So Love that. Ike gets in his car to drive back to the trailer, and he hits a patch of a hill that's been cut off. A hay truck had turned over, and there was just, like, no getting through it. And the cell spot is dead. There's no way of calling out. So Maya gets a phone call from her neighbor that her house is on fire. Oh, no. Man, I wonder who caused this. (laughs) And she's like, oh, my God, I got to go. I got to go. And Buddy tries to tell her, it's a trap. Don't do it. Like, this was a setup. We know it was. But Maya insists, like, all that she has left of Isaiah is still in that house. She wants to save as much as she can. And so Buddy, like, understands why she would want to. So he's like, fine, I'll go with you. Right. (laughs) So they go, Maya, Buddy, and Ariana. Shocker, the neighbor lied. They get there, and there's no fire. There's no smoke. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) And pretty soon, they're surrounded by motorcycles. At this point, once they get there, then the house is set on fire. So the house does go up in flames, but... They're like, we're going to wait until they're there to witness this. Yes. We want a audience. (laughs) We are divas. (laughs) Listen, if you're going to burn the house, do it beforehand. Yeah, come on, son. Make it make it a believable trap. Come on. Get together. Get <laughs> the together. The motorcycles drive them off the road and the car flips. Grayson takes Ariana from the back seat. Buddy is like, no, give me Ariana, give me Ariana. Like, don't take her. And Grayson turns around and goes, That Ariana's name was the one Derek called out before Grayson shot him. He's like, normally it's someone's mama, but he was calling out her name. How does Grayson know this? He just said that he shot. He was the one that killed them. I didn't hear that part. Did you hear that part? No, I did not hear that. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. He's the one that murdered the boys. So he tells Mm. Buddy to bring him Tangerine or it's Ariana next, basically. So Ike gets to the hospital and Maya's in surgery. Um, She had a lot of damage, basically. From, From the fire? From the car accident. Where the car oh, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, right. So sorry, the cops sorry. question Ike, and he's like, I don't know who did this, man. Bye. Because <laughs> he knows exactly <laughs> what happened, yeah. So he goes to Buddy's room to check on him. He tells Buddy that he read the text messages from Tangerine's phone, and Ike says he wishes he had just let the cops handle all of this. Now his wife is in surgery, his house was gone, and his granddaughter's been kidnapped. And... I mean, true, but also the cops weren't doing anything, so I feel like... You're valid. Yeah. Well, well, Buddy admits (laughs) that he guilted Ike into doing this. That Buddy was the one that smashed the headstone that started this all. 
What a punk ass bitch. He did it to Asshole. to um set Ike up to get angry and agree to do this. Right. So right. Ike is infuriated and he blames everything on Buddy, Honest. rightfully. Understandable. And storms right. out. So while he's in the hospital, Christine calls Buddy because uh, she had seen the accident and the fire on the news. Buddy is like, are you sure Gerald, her husband, her new husband, is okay with you calling your ex-husband while he's in the hospital? And Christine says, Gerald Winthrop Culpepper doesn't give a fuck who she's on the phone with. And that's when it all clicks for Buddy. Why Derek had been so angry at that party. Why he called Tangerine's boyfriend a hypocrite and an asshole. Why Derek tried to call his mother before his death. And that right. when she didn't pick up, he probably went to her mother's house to tell her and instead confronted Gerald. Because Gerald was Tangerine's boyfriend. <gasps> da, da, da. AKA Derek's stepdad. That kicked yeah, him out. Yeah. That's disgusting. So please. Buddy <laughs> jumps out of that hospital bed and the nurses are like, you need to get back in bed. And he's like, get the fuck out of my way. And he gets into his truck. He finds his homemade nail bat, as one does. Wow. In the seat. (laughs) As one does. And in the back seat. (laughs) And assesses his guns. So immediately he goes right to the Culpepper mansion. He drives his car into the garage and smashes up the Corvette inside. Um, He takes his nail bat and screams for Gerald to come out. And just screaming that he killed his son. When Gerald tells him over the PA system that the police are on their way... Buddy gets back in his car and drives the through their PA living room. System. Wait, wait. So he crashes his car into the garage, into the garage backs up into the Corvette, backs up, does a little and Yui, dr- and is still able to drive away. <laughs> and drives the car into the living room. I mean, that's a little unrealistic. I, don't I mean, the living room is like 15 feet from the garage, so it's, you don't have to go far. To... Still, I don't think that car is moving. So it's iconic, is what. It yes, is. and remember, this is fiction, Matthew. Con, <laughs> let us live. Let us suspend some belief. Yeah. This is fiction, but it's not fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> so I know a thing or two about cars. So he repeatedly yells that Gerald killed their son, and Christina's crying. She's confused as fuck. Um, and so he's knocking shit over with his nail bat, as one does, <laughs> and okay. the cops come in. And they're like, put the bat down. And he puts the bat down, puts his hands on his head and goes, thank God for white privilege. And then jumps on Gerald and just starts wailing on him. As he should. And then at the jail, um, he's told that someone wants to talk to him. And he's led into a room where Gerald is standing waiting to talk to him. Now, reminder, Gerald was a judge and he's running for governor of Virginia. Just to be clear. Um, so Buddy tells, Buddy tells Gerald he's going to cut off Gerald's dick and feed it to him, which is iconic because that's a line I've used to scare most of my friend's boyfriends in the event that they ever hurt my friends. Nice, nice. That was like my go-to line in college. So that's fair. I can relate to that. Um, and that was kind of what solidified my role as Buddy in the female version of this story. (laughs) In the all-female Remake of, of of Ghostbusters, Yes. (laughs) so gerald basically tells him that the breed has ariana and to get her back they're gonna need to follow their instructions to a t buddy calls him out for being a hypocrite and that they know about his relationship with tangerine 
And yet Gerald walks around preaching about Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And even though he considers Buddy to be white trash, at least Buddy has never tried to be anything that an unapologetically himself, much like Derek and Isaiah were, unapologetically themselves. Right. Whereas Gerald's been, like, hiding who he is. Right. And then after this whole speech, Buddy goes, hey, no judgment here. I'm what you call an ally. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Sir. It was that so good. That was a little cringe. I'm not going to lie. It was so good. Just like, oh, anyway. Gerald says he won't press charges and that he and Ike better deliver tangerine. So we find out that Maya's out of surgery and she wouldn't, and she could wake up literally at any time. It could be in an hour, it could be in a week, it could be in a month because the brain swelling is just like so severe. Eek. So Ike gets a call and Buddy fills Ike in on what transpired. And Ike was like hesitant to take his phone call. He called th- three times. And then Ike was like, You better not fuck it. And then he's like, I just got out of prison for beating the shit out of this guy. Like, give me some slack. <laughs> So, Ike agrees to continue to work with Buddy because he knows that's what Maya would tell him to do is, like, finish this. So, they talk and decide the only way to walk away from this with Ariana and the rest of them alive is to take a bigger target. Not give the... And to make sure that Tangerine doesn't die, they agree to take someone more important to Gerald than Tangerine. So, they set their Mm -hmm. sights on Gatsby Culpepper, Gerald's father. And we find out that, like, Derek used to tell Buddy how much of a daddy's boy Gerald was and, like, how he, how much he loved his father. So instead of... What's, what's worse, a daddy's boy or a mama's boy? A mama's boy. Mama's boy, easy. Yeah. They're both pretty bad. Yeah, but a mama's boy is... Emo- the emotional trauma there. You're right, you're right. So, instead of breaking in and kidnapping Gerald, they decide that they want to use Tangerine to lure him out. So, they start by telling Tangerine the truth. Everything that's happened was Gerald's fault. It was all Gerald's idea. His family and outside forces had absolutely nothing to do with it. She's very upset, understandably, but she agrees to help them. So, she drives um, one of Ike's, like, utility trucks... That he has, like, for the business. Over to Gatsby's house and pretends like it's broken down. He comes out to help her and Ike and Buddy tackle and knock him out. Damn. And bring him back to Buddy's trailer. Ike takes Tangerine back to Jazzy's to hide. And he admits that he's not doing this out of revenge, but hate. And I <laughs> I, I, really like the way he wraps this up. Because he's like, revenge is just hate in a nicer suit. And I kind of agree. Because... You can't do one without the other. I agree. I would I would be inclined to agree with that. Yeah. yeah. So they let Gerald well, I'd say I'd say hate is I'd say revenge is more of hate with a you know with a motive. Yes. Yes, that's also a good way to put it. That would work in that instance too. So they let Gerald know they got his daddy and now they're calling the shots. They chain Gatsby to the bathroom sink before they leave Buddy's apartment (laughs) or trailer. Buddy takes him over to his brother's house and tells Ike to wait in the car. (laughs) When Buddy's brother makes a comment about bringing one of those here about Ike, 
Buddy goes, yeah, I forgot you don't like Virgos. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, Buddy gets the keys to a place his brother has in Matthews County. Um, and the two take off for that location. His brother is involved with some sort of, like, anarchist group himself. So, like, this place they're going Sorry. to is, like, full of guns and drugs and shit. Because it's, like, a hideout. So they go to the house in Matthews that is just filled to the brim with guns, moonshine. Is that triggering for you? I know. Matthews. I know. How, how dare you typecast us? <laughs> you would just be the county. Just drive right over me. So the house is filled with guns, moonshine, and even a safe room. Ike says they're going to need a backup plan, even though that's been yet to be explained. They go back to Ike's warehouse before returning to the house. They send a text message that the meeting will be at 8... Eight o'clock that night when they get back to Buddy's trailer. And then they just try to catch some Z's before then, you know. Solid. So they're nice. Gotta rest up for the big fight. Yeah. So they arrive at 7.30 and wait. At 7.45, 20 plus motorcycles roll up to the house with a Cadillac following behind. They let Ariana out of the car and at the same time, they let both hostages go. Ariana being three years old... Starts crying and is, like, kind of taking, like, tentative steps. But then she'd stop and start crying again. Oh, And no. so, like, Buddy and Ike this are like, come on, honey. Come on. Um, before she just sprints to Ike. Ike and Buddy, Ike, Buddy, and Ariana retreat into the house, which is, like, built as, like, a shelter. So it's all, like, mm-hmm. concrete and, and metal. And it's not, like, a, just, like, a right. white cabin. Right. Um, take So they take her into the house. As the bravery just open fires, Ike puts Ariana into the tunnel to the safe room, which mm-hmm. is like hidden by a crate. The two return fire fire for a while before they also retreat into the tunnel to the safe room. Grayson thinks that they killed the dads because the return fire has stopped, so he sends mm-hmm. the rest of the breed in in to get the bodies. When the members kick open the door, a barrel of gasoline and fertilizer explodes. And just a hundred foot radius. That is some hick shit if I've ever heard of it. <laughs> that is so redneck. So Ike, Buddy, and Ariana emerge from the outhouse. And Ariana is just hysterical, obviously. But Ike... Because she's three. Yeah. Ike straps her into the truck and gives her her phone. And she literally is just so content. Like, just playing, like, a game on her phone. She, he's like, we'll be right back, sweetie. And she doesn't even acknowledge him. She's just looking at the phone. I, I feel like that's a little bit of poor writing on there. Well, you have to do I something. I feel like that's pretty accurate. Yeah, I feel like you... Uh, and she's a child. Like, she bounces back fast. Like... She's three. But, but the thing is, you the, you were just getting shot at. I Yeah, but she doesn't know that because she got into the safe room. Yeah. This is, is it also soundproof? Yeah, it's a safe room. Yeah. Oh. Um, oh, no. So, they go back to the house to inspect the damage, because they parked the car further away, so it wouldn't be in, like, the blast radius. Right. So, they find Gerald in the car. He's begging them not to kill him, and that he was sick for loving Tangerine, and that he needed help. And Buddy and Ike agree that if their boys were there, they'd probably feel bad for Gerald, and even forgive him. And then they are both like, good thing they're not here, and then they slit his throat. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Savage. And most of the rare breed is, like, dead. 
if not like the entire chapter out of Virginia. Honestly, better off that way, in my opinion. Yeah. So they go back to the car and Ariana is gone. (laughs) Grayson appears holding a gun to her head and he's in pretty bad shape from that blast. Like he is wobbly wobbly, like on his feet. Not in a good way. Yeah, no. He's not wobbly from the alcohol. So he tells Ike to toss the keys to the truck to him. Ike tosses the keys to his feet, and when Grayson bends down to pick up the, pick them up, Buddy lunges and stabs him in the neck with his pocket knife. Ike grabs Ariana and rolls her underneath him as Grayson's gun just wildly goes off because he's just been stabbed in the neck. When Ike realizes Grayson is dead, he goes to check on Buddy, who caught a bullet in the stomach. This is when we find out that the coughing was indeed cancer. And so he was going to die anyway, basically. So, like, he had nothing to lose doing this. To lose, right? Yeah. So Ike stays with him until he kind of just slumps over. And Ariana goes, he tired? And Ike goes, goes, yeah, he's just resting now. And I was just like, that is just like the pure innocence of a child. That is so so fucking sad. Two weeks later, Tangerine is now working as a receptionist for Ike. And they've already had the funeral for Buddy, and Maya and Ariana were both in attendance. We find out that Ike actually paid for Buddy's funeral on the condition that he was buried next to the boys and that his headstone said Buddy Lee, not William, his birth name. So Buddy Lee was just a nickname. Right. Um, So Detective LaPlatte, from the beginning, pays Ike a visit. So what happened at the house is all over the news that the judge had been bribed by the rare breed and that buddy basically was the one that executed all of this that he was the Mm -hmm. one behind all of this happening and the detective insinuates that he knows ike was involved in what happened but because they crossed so many different counties and jurisdictions in virginia that the cops were just willing to let buddy take the fall for what happened but honestly, does not sound impossible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that'd be a lot of paperwork. I can imagine yeah. they'd just be collectively be like, okay, like nah. Um, <laughs> Laplatte said he tried to get um, access to Ike's phone records, but like because it was so many counties, they just like he couldn't. So he's just like, I know you were involved somehow, and I'm gonna be watching you. And Ike was like, Be careful! I'd hate to file a harassment suit against you. Oh. <laughs> Um, so Ike walks him out and says that if Buddy was still around, he'd probably say something like, I could kill them a thousand times and it wouldn't even be close to being enough, but it was always going to be worth it, which, oof, hit you right in the heart. Damn. Damn. So the book ends with Ike visiting Buddy Lee's grave and he pours a beer on the grass for him. I was just about to be like, I bet he pours a beer down there. (laughs) He tells Buddy about Ariana and how fast she's growing. And then he goes next door, next, next door (laughs) to the boys' graves. And he apologizes for what he put Isaiah through. And that he didn't understand before, but he does now. And Ariana will never grow up wondering if the people who are supposed to love her do. Because he tells her every day. And that is how the book ends. Damn. That was a roller coaster from start to finish. I, I was just about to say, what a roller coaster. And it all happens in the last 10 chapters. That's crazy. Yeah. It was definitely like a slow burn, but oh, it was so well written. I'm definitely going to look into his other books because that was so good. 
Thoughts, Matthew? Uh, I think it could have used um, some more explosions. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true boy. <laughs> also, verdict on my comparison between White Claw and Bud Light Seltzer. Fuck Bud Light Seltzer. White Claw for life. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. I want to like Bud Light Seltzer because it's cheaper. Yeah. But it tastes like beer still, in my opinion. Yeah. And it's not even the good kind of beer. No, not the one that makes you fat. <laughs> That's the best beer. I almost got a Stella the other oh, day, in your honor. Thank you. It's You're my welcome. favorite. I got a spicy margarita Ooh, instead. So. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we actually ended up trading drinks because she liked the spicy margarita better than I liked the, uh, the uh, what was it again? It was a pineapple honey, like, cocktail of some sort. Mm. Yeah. Fun. Interesting combination. Yeah. I know. Well, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BookaholicsPod. You can find me on Twitter at FranchToastics with an X or on Instagram at Francesca Hope. And where can they find you? You can find me on Goodreads, Alicia Reads 13, or on Storygraph, Just Alicia Reads. And you can't find me anywhere, because I have no social media <laughs> presence. <laughs> Yet. And we'll see you for the next one. Bye.